Hi, welcome to Backstory, podcast from the Toronto Real Asian International Film Festival. We have something a little bit different today. We are in the midst of programming hell uh, as we prep for the 25th edition of the Toronto Real Asian International Film Festival in November. And, uh, and we have a special guest. We have Grayson Lee, Backstory fan, Backstory friend of the show, and sometimes Backstory foe. Uh, to join us. But we love Grayson. He has uh, wonderful, wonderful takes for us. And we're going to talk about the larger world of martial arts movies and what that kind of means, I guess. So welcome to Backstory. It's nice to have you here. (laughs) I think in my wildest dreams, I like imagine being invited to talk about this subject specifically as a diasporic Asian person and also a huge martial arts movie fan. Like my relationship to martial arts movies was like ever since I was little, like VHS, mm-hmm. like DVDs or whatever. I grew up in like uh, a convenience store that also had a Video 99, which is like this basically independent video rental business that my parents were doing. Where was the store? Where? Oh God, it was in Bridge North, Ontario. It's like cottage country. It's like outside of Peterborough super small population and so like everybody came to our shop to rent a movie because mm-hmm. there's like nothing else like close by the world was your oyster and you could watch whatever movie you wanted the world was my oyster as in like i was like trapped in like a tiny shell and all i had was like <laughs> was like these like films like walls and walls of like dvds and vhs though right i was like working at my parents store so i was like 14 or whatever and all i do all day is just like watch movies and they're on this like tiny little like CRT. Okay, so what what were some of the movies that caught your fancy? I got started on like Bruce Lee films when I was like five with mm-hmm. my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like the Jackie Chan canon and Golden Harvest. And then Shaw Brothers I got into when I was in high school after like getting into like Wu Tang Clan. Yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> you start watching like you like you come into Golden Harvest naturally, and then you like start watching Shaw Brothers because you find out about the RZA. Yeah. So I've got like. I've watched like a lot and it was definitely not because of my age and more so just like my entry points through like access and like different cultural sort of like entry points as well. And was that something that you were drawn to that because it was like, I'm guessing because of every, you know, of all those kind of movie covers that are on the shelf, like the martial arts ones were likely the only ones that had an Asian Asian shit on it. You know what I mean? Right away, right away. It's like the first thing you get to see is Asian leads and Asian male leads at that, right? Mm -hmm. is like kung fu movies kung fu movies martial arts movies it's just like this really kind of cool form of representation it was the time where like the asian male was like a cool character but in like an interesting way i mean there's a lot of problems with like gender dynamics around that anyways totally and also like this weird kind of caricaturizing that comes out but that being said when you cannot like just kind of enjoy the kitsch it's like super great it's super enjoyable when you're young too it was like super fun i think though like it was mostly like this starting point of like watching bruce lee movies with my dad mm-hmm. that was like a really nice entry point into like okay here you go now you're gonna watch like the best fighter that like ever lived yeah like, yeah and you're like five and you're like oh my god he's like some kind of like god right? he's like this like amazing ripped asian guy who just like kills the like the white champion of karate <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, it's 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 interesting that, you know, you can draw this line from a 70s Bruce Lee movie to uh, Shang-Chi, you know, that it yeah. that this kind of iconography endures so much, you know, and there's plenty of think pieces and, and interviews talking about that kind of tenuous uh, relationship between that. It's like, oh, you know, like. Uh, we want to be more than that, but it's also like, yeah, but it's cool, right? So I guess it is just interesting to see it 
that Shang-Chi is this big movie that's come out. It's done really well at the box office. Uh, and, and it's essentially a martial arts movie. And, you know, there's a little bit of a, I guess, lamenting for, oh, can we not be more than that, right? Yeah, but also, God, it's it's such a battle even to have that. You know what I mean? Yeah. I often get really fed up with the representation question. Yeah. And, like, how desperate we always are to, like, be seen or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. But then also, it's, it's, like, such a relevant question because it's still a problem today, right? Like, these yeah. little, these, like, battles that seem frivolous are still going on because they haven't actually been won yet in a lot of ways, right? Yeah. I can, like, be frustrated with them within the community for, like, these same kind of, like, questions about Orientalism and, like, representation, what it means, why do we care? But at the same time, we also haven't moved very far in them at all. These are, like, old problems, but they're not, like, done with problems right i mean it's also one of those things is depending on your entry point and where you are in in terms of your kind of own history or your own catalog of watching films and seeing uh more and more representations right whether on screen or lived or anything like that it's kind of like then within the community sometimes you want to feel like you're you're beyond it but at the same time these kind of more entry point films are still meaningful and it is because like you're saying these are these are old problems, but not not gone problems, right? You brought up this point about like how we got from you know Bruce Lee all the way up to Shang Chi, and I think there is like something like an interesting sort of overview of a story of what it means, like at least within film and cinema, to get to this point. And I think like a lot of people kind of tr- tend to like dismiss pop culture a lot of mm-hmm. times, but for me, I mean, like I've been a pop culture researcher for a long time um so of course it's relevant to me but i think just like in general for film and like cinema and understanding these kind of things media it is like an important thing and it has a lot to do with politics it's really important to acknowledge how important martial arts was towards the creation of sort of action cinematography mm-hmm. and if we start with like bruce lee well we have to remember before bruce lee people were just like basically doing cowboy punching to each other right that was like that was fight scenes right it was like like the john wayne they'd go in and he'd like do this big wind up and punch the guy once and he'd go down and that's like the end of your your action sequence or it was like theater style uh, like sword fighting or whatever and then bruce lee comes out in the green hornet and he brings out like kung fu and everybody's like what is going on and then he like has to work really hard to get any sort of access to filmmaking here Mm -hmm. right it was so hard for him to become a star I mean, starting with like Bruce Lee, you then have this trajectory of like when Bruce Lee gets big and then suddenly disappears, it becomes this big vacuous space where everybody's just doing all kinds of weird stuff with like action, martial arts and integrating and incorporating it into filmmaking. And it's kind of really amazing to see specifically like outside of Asia, what gets big, right? And what what happens. A lot happens also in Asia and then what the West kind of imports really affects the way pop culture kind of goes, Mm -hmm. right? Mm Mm-hmm. So like you start off with Bruce Lee and it's like all this like, whoa, this guy's like super fast, weird stuff that nobody's seen before with like kicks and all these things. And then, of course, with Bruce Lee, we're in the 70s and then post Bruce Lee is like the 80s. And in the 80s, you start to see like the rise of like the next generation after that, right? With Jackie Chan. Yeah. And from there, it becomes like action, right? Jackie Chan starts off with like Kung Fu flicks and Kung Fu flicks is a very particular genre of martial arts films. Like martial arts are like super broad, right? You've got like wuxia, you get like Jackie Chan does drunken master, learning martial arts, drunken master style. And then from there, he kind of switches later into like police story era. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like less about like learning Kung Fu, learning martial arts, and more about just like crazy, like stunt choreography, action sequences, like explosions, special effects, 
all this kind of stuff. And then you get a trajectory of like later on that becoming much more integrated into a lot of Hollywood. Yeah, right? totally, totally. Right, like you can see a direct link between like police story style choreography and action cinematography and Hollywood, like even like five years later. Well, or, or, or even the, the trend of doing your own stunts, quote unquote, right? right. Like the, the Tom mm -hmm. Cruise uh, Mission right. Impossible, like I'm going to do whatever it takes. I may yeah. kill myself. Yeah. Um, I mean, that that yeah. is definitely um, drawn from Jackie Chan, which, yeah. you know, who also drew from, you know, kind of a Buster, Buster Keaton, Keaton kind of. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So exactly. it's, it's kind of like these circular things, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you definitely have like the 70s uh, Kung Fu movies. You got the 80s. I was uh, kind of interested in, I mean, because this is when I grew up, uh, as the Ninjas mm -hmm. movies of the 80s, because mm -hmm. I think that felt very much like tied to the kind of geopolitics of the time, you know, mm -hmm. there's this kind of fascination with Japan, but also like, you know, is this kind of like stand in for, but we don't know what is entirely <laughs> happening, you know, <laughs> you know, right. those movies also were really co-opted, you know, you had your American ninjas or, right. you know, you ended up having your Ninja Turtles. I mean, I have a whole thing about like how, how it's how odd it's become that ninjas are Legos and uh, characters and, in kids kids board books now yeah i mean i have to say that my exposure to it is much more in the co-optation of you know well ninja turtles mm. and and whatnot so do, do you think ninja turtles ruin ninjas no 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 no! oh my god ninja turtles are so good they're like one <laughs> of, ninja turtles is like one of the best translations of like a cultural trope that you could get okay well, right okay let's what, what do you mean what do you mean let's see here i think the reason why Ninja Turtles succeeded so well is because nothing about it felt like a cheap imitation of like something that's authentically Japanese, right? Mm. I don't think anyone looking at the Ninja Turtles thought like this is a crappy knockoff of mm. an Asian cultural point. Like everything about the Ninja Turtles is super American. Yeah. Right? Like you 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 don't get any sort of icky feelings of Orientalism when you look at the Ninja Turtles, because it's the most American thing you could possibly imagine, right? They're these mutant turtles <laughs> that come out of the New York sewer and they love pizza. Yeah. <laughs> and they're Italian because they're like named after like Italian artists, right? Like it's it's just this weird, really, really interesting moment in pop culture that came out of just like people <laughs> doing just really messed up stuff and translating stuff that they thought would be like would appeal to kids. Yeah. And it did. It worked. It worked so well. It appealed to me. And and they definitely kind of kidified it from the earlier comics which were a, a little bit uh, darker right yes not grisly yeah. but darker yeah mm -hmm. yeah mm -hmm. um yeah i mean I, I i think you know i i was so interested in that ninja stuff because it's it's so so obviously like coded asian um even to me uh you know playing with ninja turtles in the 80s or whatever and it's kind of back to this point of like martial arts being uh quote unquote hours you know it was like one of the okay things that you could lay some cultural stake on you mm -hmm. know in north america and it was still you know still okay right like and not just to talk about the past but even food wasn't that back then you know right. like it is well, yeah. like it is now yeah right i'd say the interesting thing about martial arts is there's like a weird relationship to orientalism that martial arts have had since they came to the West, right? The way that like martial arts entered America was this interestingly weird thing about like very like secretive, closely guarded, like 
hidden techniques about like how to kill a man with your thumb or something, right? Mm-hmm. Like a death touch. Like there's this weird kind of like mystery around it and this idea of like mystical kind of like Eastern wisdom killing techniques, right? That come from like the faraway land, right? And so that's like textbook 101, like Orientalism. What gave martial arts its popularity and like its big rise was actually the way that the West was actually positioning itself in relationship to Asia at the time, right? A lot of Japan was like heavily orientalized after World War II. Mm -hmm. And then that like continues on for like a long time. I mean, there's like an entire era where people that learned martial arts, first off, weren't considered weird, but they were absolutely really weird people, right? Mm-hmm. What I mean by that is like, so I worked in a martial arts and fitness like retail shop for a few years and always there was like this one type of, of customer that would come in and you could tell right away that they were somebody that trained in that era, right? If you mm-hmm. do martial arts right now, you kind of are treating it more like a sport. It might as well just be like, if you're doing jujitsu, it's basically like you're doing um, wrestling or boxing or like. I don't know, like basketball or something. It's just like a sport that you yeah. like practice and train in. But if you're doing martial arts in the 80s, you weren't like just like doing a, like a physical activity a few times a week. You were like learning a secret dark arts, right? Yeah. You were like, you, you were learning the way. Yeah, the customers would come in and be like, I learned from Sifu, blah, 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 from this time. Or like, I have a third degree black belt in ninjutsu. I can tell you trained. Who's your master? Like, you know, it's this weird kind of thing where they actually are empowering the martial art through Orientalism Mm -hmm. and then co-opting that empowerment, Orientalizing themselves or giving themselves like the ability to kind of take on this kind of like mysticism by saying like, I learned from this Asian person or I have a relationship to this specific Asian style, which was just a, a really weird time. And it's really reflected in the movies too. Right. Like you, when you talk about ninja films from that era, the ones that came in, especially to like North America, were all films that were like really like weirdly kitsch mm-hmm. or even the Kung Fu films. It was like the flying guillotine. Right. It was like yeah. this, this miss, this like magical weapon that the Kung Fu artists could like throw onto someone's head and it would decapitate them right away. You know what I mean? <laughs> which is uh, which is some technology and, and some skill to get it mm-hmm. onto somebody's head. But uh mm-hmm. I, do do you have do you have some some movies uh, that are your favorites or ones that you wanted to talk about in, uh, specifically? Yes, you know what? Yeah, okay. Let's <laughs> let's bring it back to films. I actually do think though, ninjas as a trope though are so are so cool, especially if we think about like what I was talking about earlier about like showing and depicting and seeing things that are supposed to be not seen. Right. The mm-hmm. whole cool thing about a ninja is that they're like a silent, deadly assassin. You don't even know it. And then like the ninja kills you or whatever. So I've got like two clips that I think portray and interact with this idea of showing and seeing and not seeing really, really well. And this idea of like shadows, hiding, light, dark. The first one I wanted you to see was actually like from this show called Samurai Jack. Do you know yeah. Samurai Jack? Uh, I've heard of it. I have not watched it. So it's by Gandhi Tarkarovsky. It's like, you know, it's one of those names. It's the guy that did Dexter's Lab. Mm-hmm. And he did this show about a samurai that gets like transported to the future. Anyways, in this episode, it's called Jack versus the Ninja. So Samurai Jack fights this android ninja. And there's this one clip I want to show. It's just a couple minutes. Okay. And it's Jack versus the Ninja. Okay. Jen, roll the clip. <laughs> just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay. I'll, let me Sorry, watch. I'm not ready. Yeah. I'm rolling the clip. Let's pretend. That'll be edited. Yeah. I okay. Just, yeah. I, was, I was just joking. I was just joking. I know your arts as well. Okay, I need you to tell me what's happening in the clip. 
Oh, they're uh, they're fighting in black and white, and it's just like uh, like uh, the samurai disappeared into the into the light, and they're fighting with swords now. <laughs> and the sun is going down, and the sun is changing, so it's revealed the samurai. Right. Jen, did you watch that too? What do you think? I loved the silhouettes. I was like, I didn't know how to appreciate the animation style as a kid. I was too young. I was just like, it's a cool action show, but like, there's so much going on there. Yeah, I recently rewatched it. I'm totally gushing about this show all over again. To me, this was actually probably one of the most successful invocations of this idea of like showing and not showing and like how to depict ninjas and it like strips it down so well right only a couple colors are used mm -hmm. samurai jack basically like puts on this these white robes and then he's suddenly invisible whenever there's like white so in the light he's unseen and the shinobi the ninja right the ninja robot um of course he has to be a robot because it's aimed at being pg and so they can't actually show the samurai chopping up people so he has to chop up robots and then and then you get the the PG rating. Right? Um, <laughs> Whatever yeah. it takes. <laughs> yeah. So the ninja robot is donning the black robes, the typical costume of the ninja, right? And then he's like invisible whenever there's black, right? And he's only shown in those like strips of white that come up on the screen and then the vice versa for Samurai Jack. And it's like a wonderful, beautiful sort of interaction that happens between this duality of like the samurai who's in the light and the shinobi who's in the dark and when they're seen and not seen and how you get the two to interact and fight, right? It's beautiful. It's such like a, a clean, crisp, simple execution of this idea of like fighting while being seen or not seen. And that's like one of the best ways to do it, right? If you just like make it really simple and really hone in on what is cool about this thing. Mm -hmm. The other clip is like the same idea of how to show something that's like not easy to see or not supposed to be seen, right? The ninja. And it's actually a scene from Ninja Assassin, the, the film featuring Rain. Yes, love Rain. I mean, <laughs> he's Rain is also like an entire episode topic on his own <laughs> yeah. and how he's had like a weird recent resurgence yep. in Korean pop culture. Oh. But yeah, so the second clip is from Ninja Assassin. Okay. Uh, Roll the clip. <laughs> Roll the clip, Let's look at it. That's what. It's it much now. shorter. It's playing. So basically, she's like given this letter that shows like she's being like threatened or being like hunted now by the ninjas. They're gonna come and assassinate her. And like the lights have been cut out in her apartment, so it's all dark. Ooh. Ooh. More will come. What? They will stop until you're dead. The gun won't help you. Well, I don't have a lot of options, okay? You know, it's just a <laughs> That is the extent of my kung fu Well, ability, full right? disclosure, this was uh, one of the films that inspired us to talk about martial arts movies in the first place. I, I have not seen this film. I have always wanted to see it. I remember I was at a Cineplex walking by the theater where this movie, Ninja Assassin, was showing. And, you know, when through the door, you can just see, like, lights. And it yeah. was just like, white dark red 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 blood red <laughs> i was like oh i should go watch that right. movie at some point <laughs> yeah 
So, Ninja Assassin, released in 2009, produced by the Wachowskis. The director was James McTeague, and most notably, like, starring Rain. This was a terrible film, but also so good. And I got into, like, I got into a really bad thing because, like, my co-worker at the time asked me, like, I had just gone to see it as soon as it came out, and I came back, and they're like, oh, was it good? I really wanted to see it because I'm a big Rain fan. And I was like, I've, and I just told them I loved it. I love that film so much. And they went and saw it, and they just never talked to me again <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> you know, Grayson, he has the worst taste. Yeah, that's exactly what happened. Never asked me for another movie uh, recommendation ever again. They didn't even talk to me about anything other than work ever again. I think they were just like, <laughs> like really disappointed. But anyways, Ninja Assassin, really, really, really good film for invoking just like a lot of weird ninja tropes, but not a good actual like storytelling <laughs> thing at all this scene that i showed you right now is one of the like the more interesting things that actually happens in the film from like a cinema analysis kind of thing right and it's a, kind of this fun thing where you don't really see what's going on there's a lot of shaky cam this is actually like one of the cardinal sins of like mm-hmm. more modern sort of action right is like when you've got people that are really bad at doing action scenes or aren't very good at martial yeah. arts or aren't good at choreography <laughs> he's you had lots of fast cuts, lots of shaky cam, right? Yeah, Liam Neeson. What was it? Taken, it was taken the three Taken franchise. Where... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So here, in my opinion, the shaky cam works well because you can't see what's going on at all. You have no idea what's happening. Um, it's dark. And then you kind of just get these like little glimpses of like these ninjas fighting through one of the, the characters like holding up a flashlight, right? And it'll occasionally like, see like that there's like two ninjas wearing like these costumes like fighting each other and that's kind of cool that's a really cool way to like show something like ninjas as opposed to just like having them wear black and like completely brightly lit scene fighting out because then it completely defeats the purpose of why are they even pretending to be hidden at all well i think these are really great clips that you've shown because it allows for a kind of a visual aesthetic that can be flexed you know and that that is part of the mystique of, of the characters. Correct me if I'm wrong, but like Ninja Assassin, like yeah. you said, it was what, 2008, 2009? 2009, yep. I mean, what mainstream things has there been with ninjas? I mean, of course, there was Snake Eyes this summer, right. um, mm-hmm. which uh, I don't think either of us have seen, but uh, that was also something I, I wanted to check out. But there's this kind of uh, dearth of ninja media right now. So what's up with that? I, I guess in a lot of ways... A big part of it is the return of the 90s. Mm-hmm. 90s was like a key point for ninja kitsch. Um, ninja films kind of like exploded. And they're like these like fun action things for kids. Like lots of acrobatics. This was like the, the golden time and the worst time for ninjas. Because you were just, all you all you did was see ninjas everywhere. And right away they just became like these things that were just like a joke, right? <laughs> it became like a joke. They were everywhere and like they're actually harmless because you just have like waves of ninjas coming out to like whoever and like they'd all get beaten up yeah they're like considered the most ineffective um they're they're the hordes it's a horde right yeah it's like yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. ninja horde yeah ninja hordes there's like that inverse number law for like ninjas the fewer ninjas there are the more powerful they are or whatever the 90s had like the three ninjas which was those three kids that were like all like ninjas that like learned about uh ninja martial arts from their japanese grandpa there's uh there's surf ninjas Surf ninjas. this is this film that i've been trying to talk to you about for so long which is just like if if you see the trailer or the film itself you'd be like how did this thing ever exist 
And it's also like one of the worst movies of all time. And it's a film that I've watched probably over 10 times. <laughs> I, I have this weird relationship to this one terrible movie featuring Liam Neeson and Rob Schneider, but they're actually not the main characters. They're like the antagonist and the sidekick. And the main character is actually some Filipino American actor who's really good at martial arts and he's mostly a stuntman. And that was like them kind of translating a lot of the, the aesthetic around Ninja Turtles into like a live action mm-hmm. where there's like surfer lingo. They're like, Kelbunga, surf's on, dude, radical. And then they're also like flipping around and like fighting each other with swords or whatever. There was like Beverly Hills Ninja. Yeah, Beverly Hills Ninja. Yep. With Chris Farley, right? Yep. Where Chris Farley was like a ninja master that was adopted by Asians. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like this was like just across the board. Anytime Asians came on screen, they were ninjas. And I feel like now with the return of like actually a lot of Asian representation on the on the silver screen or like the mainstream media, we see the reinvocation of a lot of these tropes, especially with like action choreography becoming kind of like this thing that for a while was like really bad. Mm-hmm. It's now starting to get really good again. Mm-hmm. I'm so glad to see that there's a lot better like action choreography happening and cinematography. And like a lot of that was also with like things like the Marvel franchise getting big, right? Mm-hmm. With the Marvel franchise getting so big, where it's such a big action-based franchise, we see a lot of like really good things happening in terms of like action choreography. And then if action choreography gets better, of course you're going to start getting martial arts involved as well. Mm-hmm. And you can't invoke the martial arts trope without bringing up ninjas. Even when ninjas aren't actually the thing, you still bring up ninjas, right? And this that's just how important <laughs> this trope is to like film. If you look at, for example, even like Crashing Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is like a quintessential Chinese martial arts film. It invokes all of like the Chinese martial arts tropes, like a lot of wuxia tropes, mm-hmm. a lot of wire action. Yep. Uh, there's like a legendary Chinese sword in there. There's like enlightenment is a big topic. Even that film had ninjas in it. Yeah. Actually, I, I, I have to just talk about this. I have to talk about like the, the actual visual representation of the ninja itself. It's something that like does not also exist in real life. Kind of like how you can't actually talk about ninjas in real life because they just don't function the same way in real life the way they do on screen. Ninjas in real life never wore ninja garb. The way ninjas became to look like they were like wearing all these black robes where they're like all, all things are like wrapped up in black except for their eyes came actually from like another kind of like predecessor to film, which was like Kabuki theater mm. in Japan. And so Kabuki ninja were like basically all the stage hands that would be moving around props or cha- rearranging sets and mm. stuff in mm. the background and meant to not be seen by the audience while the performers were actually acting. And I think actually there's like a story, a legend about how this became incorporated into like the ninja trope in one of the, these Kabuki plays. They did this sort of like big kind of like twist on the audience where One of the kabuki hands or one of the kabuki ninja in that play suddenly stabs one of the characters that's being portrayed in the uh, in that play and is therefore becomes like this like huge thing where like all of a sudden this thing that's like hiding in plain sight becomes this thing that is capable of like acting and killing and interacting with actually the story itself and then after that becomes like this big trope of like the ninja we got an origin story there i think yeah i think that's a really good origin story <laughs> even if it's not true i want to say that's like where where, <laughs> where the where the ninja costume came from i mean the one thing is like for sure that absolutely is like a one-to-one if you look at like the kabuki stage hands from like yeah. the past and like the the way ninjas are dressed in movies later it's like the exact same but I think like the way ninjas actually existed in like the Warring States period, the Sengoku era in Japan, they were just like, they could be anybody. They'd be dressed like a normal person and then they just like poison you or something. So 
ninjas are really this thing that only exists for the screen and they do so well there and they're so like connected to media in the specific way can you tell us your favorite martial arts movies and or ninja movies let's see here i think if you go with like martial arts movies there's so many kinds but there's one type of martial arts movie i really like which is the martial arts buildings roman and so Buildings Roman is like the coming yeah. of age story, like it's a very like modernist trope. I think there's like there's like a very British tradition or whatever, right? But martial arts Buildings Roman tradition is like somebody who like is just a normal person or is getting bullied or has some sort of problem they face. And then the way to like <laughs> fix all their problems is to like find a master, train, go through a training montage. And then at the end, they defeat their enemy and they like emerge as this like fully formed being. It's like this wonderful kind of power fantasy. If in that kind of film, my three picks would be Marchukori Tanuksa, which is this Korean film. I think the English title is like Once Upon a Time in High School. Hmm. Nothing to do with martial arts for almost most of its entirety. And it's about this guy who's just like in high school and he's kind of like experiencing a normal high school life that has lots of like difficulties of this particular era in Korea, which is like the 70s. It was a dictatorship. It was like a really strict setting. And then at the end, he kind of gets bullied. And then he just like gets really into Bruce Lee and like starts training like Bruce Lee and then beats everybody up. That's like one of my top for sure. The other one would be Arahan. Uh, English title is Arahan. It's another Korean one. Again, it's just like this this normal beatdown cop who's like like a traffic cop or something. And he's just like bullied. Nobody takes him seriously. And then he basically finds these martial arts masters, learns under them, and gets involved in this really wild like kind of martial arts fantasy thing third film we'll show pick for my third film it's like either kung fu hustle which is like the same mm-hmm. kind of thing that i was talking about but he's like way older or it's like shaolin soccer which is hilarious because he's already like a kung fu expert and now he's like trying to make kung fu relevant to like the real world yeah or it's god of cookery which i would argue is still a martial arts film <laughs> i know you know so i'm trying to give i'm trying to write down my my top three too yes. and, and i have five so, oh, yes. <laughs> yes. so i just go on i could go okay. on so, but like, it's like something like that yeah so i definitely have a top two right uh, and then and then three i was like oh um so i think my number one is the blade it's a choi hawk movie from early 90s it's a remake of one armed swordsman um, but it's incredible it uses the same storyline but it's just like brutal and nihilist and the final fight scene is incredible and I, they must have been all on cocaine making this movie so because <laughs> like i feel like the first right. time i watched it and i was just watching it on vhs in my room like on a little tv and it's like sweating uh during this movie so uh, it's incredible and like hard to find. Oh, all the best ones are hard to find. Yeah. So bad. My number two is uh, The Legend of Fong Sayuk. So it's like a Jet Li movie, uh, but it's <laughs> it's a it's a comedy. It's totally playing off the fact that he played uh, Wang Fei Hong in uh, in all the Once Upon a Time in China movies. It's a, basically a spoof of uh, of uh, Wang Fei Hong. There's even a romance with it with a relative in this one as well. So which they make lots of jokes about. So and then and then my other ones are um, I mean Drunken Master Two. Uh, I, I, f- I feel like it's better than Drunken Master 1. Um, Ooh, we could talk about that. <laughs> Everyone thinks that. Yeah. They're wrong. Uh, and, no, and I think it's <laughs> completely true. And then, of course, you know, I don't know. I don't remember which one of the Once Upon a Time in China movies was, like, the best one. I know it wasn't the last one. Right, it wasn't three. People, no. A lot of people say it's two. I, it might be two. It's been a while, so I don't remember. And uh, and then my other one was uh, would be Crippled Avengers. Uh, it's a classic Shaw Brothers uh, revenge 
movie. No, I don't know that one. It's called by another title, like Five Deadly Venoms Return or something. Oh, like okay. That. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You know what? Yes. Then I know that one. So like yes. what like some evil yeah, yeah, dude yeah, yeah, like yeah, blinds yeah. one of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cuts off one of their hands and so right. so they all have to train and yes. uh and, and <laughs> right. uh and okay, yeah, 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 yeah. that movie has the best ending line of all time. And this is the dubbed version and where where they spoiler alert, they kill him in the end, they get revenge, and then they say, Did we get him? And he says, sure. <laughs> it's the best. I love that movie. It's so oh, good. God, there's so many more I want to add now that you said that. I'm gonna I'm going to not I'm going to resist. Yeah. Oh, but oh my god, there's like 36 Chambers of Shaolin. There's like, oh, there's so many. How about your top ninja movies? Lady Snowblood, for sure. Okay. You know that one? So Lady Snowblood is where a lot of the Kill Bill narrative comes from. Tarantino stealing something? What? I Never. No, cheese, right? It's an homage, it's not stealing. Did you detect sarcasm? I, can you put some sarcasm on that? Yeah. <laughs> Second film for sure is Sword of the Stranger. Sword of the Stranger is actually an anime film. And you could like call it a samurai film if you want, but I'm going to call it a ninja film. Basically the best animation for sword fighting you can find. The story itself is not even that good, but it doesn't matter. You're just, you're basically watching it for like how well animated these sword fights are. Nice. Third film is going to be another anime, and it's definitely Ninja Scroll. And Ninja Scroll is this film that, like, is so personally important to me as this film that was on, like, I guess, like, Adult Swim. Mm -hmm. It's, like, one of those, like, those, like, forbidden films that you see, like, when you're a child on, like, (laughs) I guess for me, it was, like, Teletoon, late night Teletoon. And, like, I only ever caught it in, like, snippets or parts. It took me until, like, basically later stages of the internet before I could see the film from beginning to end in one sitting. Super violent, super gory, extremely graphic. Has a lot of terrible scenes and sequences in it. But also is just, like, an amazing cult film that has a special place in my heart. It's also, like, really cool because it, it does this, like, other trope of ninjas, which is, like, ninjas all have their special techniques. And so it's like rock, paper, scissors with ninjas. And then like what technique works against what ninja, (laughs) blah, blah, blah. How do you, this, you have to first off find out what their secret technique actually is and then how to counter it, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, those would be my three films. All right. Well, we'll make sure that we uh, put those in the show notes. So Grayson, want to really thank you for coming on Backstory and joining us. It's been a long time coming. And Mm -hmm. I think we'll have you back in the future too. Cool, oh my show. God, I'm, I'm not going <laughs> to... Yes, friend of the show. Friend, <laughs> I, I will accept being sometimes foe. <laughs> I also need to add that I'm the number one fan of the show, though. And we love you for it, so so thanks so much. Thank you for having me. We don't have any uh, top fan rewards. That's, that's yeah. okay, I know, I, I've known this. Oh, well, yeah. we we discussed making a t-shirt. <gasps> Actually, I would I would get it. I would get it for <laughs> No, we'll give it. We'll, we'll just just give it to you <laughs> what if this is one of those things where we go and watch your recommendations and then we just don't talk to you ever again <laughs> <laughs> i think you're pretty confident in these right i yes backstory podcast is presented by the toronto real asian international film festival it's written and hosted by aaron collier and kelly louis it's produced and edited by jennifer sue for more information about the show and the festival, please visit us at our website at realasian.com and check out the show notes for a list of the films mentioned in this episode. As always, you can write to us at backstory at realasian.com.